Well, thanks. It is, uh, it's great to be here with you guys. I've, I've known Brian uh, 10 years now, and we're still friends. <laughs> well, there you have it. Now, he's, uh, he's told me a lot about you guys. I've kept up with Crossroads over the years, so it's great to finally you know, be here and, uh, and see you guys face-to-face. And I keep saying you guys. I'm, I'm from Texas now. I'm supposed to say y'all, right? Give me a hi, y'all. Just make me feel better. All right, I feel better now. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about my one prayer for the one church. And uh, I want to start off just asking a question. You, we get stuck sometimes. You ever notice that? You ever get stuck? You know, we know deep down that uh, we're not quite all that God intended us to be or all that we know we were meant to be. You know, there's more, right? And we all know that. There, there, there's got to be more joy, more peace, more excitement, more contentment, more life, more love. And yet, so often we, we end up just going around and around in the busyness and the struggle of life. Or in the, the endless activity and productivity that our society is so enamored with. And before you know it, we're going around and around year after year doing the same thing, hoping for a better result, which is basically the definition of insanity. That's right. So how do we, you know, how do we get out and stay out of those ruts we all tend to get in? You know, especially when there's so little time and so much to do. What's the most important thing to do? And you know, this is not true just of individuals. It's true of whole churches as well. Whole churches can get into a rut just going around and around playing church. You know, where there's a lot going on, but nobody's really changing on the inside. And and people aren't really growing in this more uh, loving community that Jesus intended. And the world around isn't really changing. Now, I know there are lots of churches like that. I also know that that has not been the history of Crossroads. But I want to say to you, just like I said to our church, you know, none of us are immune to that disease. We can all get in ruts. So if there's one thing that we as individuals who make up the church could do to stay out of ruts or to get out of ruts, what would it be? What would that one thing be? Well, that's my one prayer for the one church that we would do the one thing Jesus said is most important. And the Lord taught me in a painful way the first two years of starting Gateway about this one thing. In fact, I think it's the only thing that we need to focus on, but it's one of the hardest things for us to stay focused on. You know, when when we started Gateway 10 years ago in Austin, uh, nothing went as I planned. Surprise. We started with a a small group. There were just 10 of us in a home. One small group grew to two, then to three, then to four. Everything was going fine. But then two weeks before our our go public with our Sunday morning service, we were going to start in a movie theater, in the General Cinema Movie Theater. Two weeks before, uh, I got a call from Los Angeles, the Los Angeles management of the General Cinema. And they said to me, um, hey, you can't do church in our movie theater before movies, bad for business. I said, oh, no, no, no. You see, because we have a contract. And he said, no, 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 because you see, the manager who signed your contract didn't have authority. You don't have Jack. And I kept going at it and going at it for the next day or so, trying to figure out a way around it. And, and then I realized, we don't have Jack. <laughs> 
And I was distraught. I mean, you got to understand, we had spent all our money. We had bought all this equipment. We had prepared and worked for nine months to get to this place. We had spent everything, sent all these mailers out, hoping a lot of people in two weeks were going to show up to the general cinema, and we had no place to meet. And uh, I, I, that whole week, I kept trying uh, you know, to, to get the L.A. management to at least just let us meet once. You know, let us meet there once so people don't show up and we have to put the moose out. Sorry, folks, park's closed, you know that. They wouldn't do it. So uh, I didn't know what to do. That, later that week, I called uh, just a, a gathering to pray of the 38 people who are part of our core. And I'm walking out the door, no kidding, and the phone rings. Now, I had just gotten to know Brian, your, your lead pastor, and we had talked a few times. Probably hadn't talked in two or three months. Picked up the phone. It was Brian. Brian was sitting at his desk that day uh, when he got an email from a woman who had come to faith here at Gateway who said she was moving to Austin. And as he read that, he had this prompting, you need to call John right now to make sure you don't forget to get her connected when she gets to Austin. So that's what he was calling me about. And I said, I told him the story of what was happening. And Brian said, you know, I think there's someone in our church who might know somebody connected somehow to the movie theater industry. I'll, I'll check. And I said, okay, great, and didn't think anything of it, hung up. Later that week, I decided I'm going to go one last shot. I'm going, you know, face-to-face -face, uh, with the, the local manager and just beg him, just let us meet once. I won't tell, you won't tell, everything will be fine. <laughs> and when I got there, what he said shocked me. He said, well, you guys must have some good connections. He said, do you know that the president of General Cinema in New York called the L.A. management and said, leave the church in Austin alone. So you're good to go. Yeah. True story. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what? I, I, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I, I could not figure out what in the world had happened. How did the president of General Cinema get involved? Well, later that week, I tracked it down and realized that little prompting that Brian had that day to call me right away was a God prompting. And we saw that God has connections we don't, and we felt like our, God's hand was on our church. And I'll be honest, I kind of smugly thought as well, <laughs> let's see those L.A. managers kick us out now. I mean, we're, we're there, right? Eight months later. Eight months later, the first Austin Powers movie releases. It's doing really well. They decide, we need to show Sunday morning matinees, and we got kicked out. Got the boot. Shagged by Austin Powers. <laughs> Not right. And so began two painful years of moving from location to location. Six locations that we had to move to in two years. Some, sometimes we had four days notice and we had to get a hold of 350 or so people who were attending and tell them where we were going to be. One time we had to move either locations or times every week for six weeks. Our motto back then was, if you can find us, you can come. <laughs> yeah, funny to you. It was painful. And 70% of the people come to our church then were just exploring faith or just coming to faith. And when we would move, we would lose them. And it was like a kick in the gut to me. 
I felt torn up, I felt anxious, I felt frustrated, I felt like a bad leader that I couldn't somehow get it to stick and to work. I was struggling, fighting feelings of failure and inadequacy, you know, and, and it was tiring. I mean, on top of the 60 to 70 hours I was putting in to just keep things going, you know, then as soon as we would get kicked out of one place, I became a commercial real estate agent, just scouring the city, trying to get another contract worked out and guarantee that we would have something. And then, and then I'd go home to my wife, and I would, you know, I'd, I would pour out my, my frustration and all that, and, you know, she was running our kids' club equivalent, and she was like, well, this isn't very easy. If you don't think God's in it, let's get out. And that didn't help. And so I would pick up the phone, I'd call my new buddy, Brian Tome, and he'd just call me names, weenie boy, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> no, actually, he was very encouraging in those days. He didn't call me weenie boy until later. <laughs> but, you know, I kept riding my mountain bike out into the hills of Austin. I would get off, and I would just walk and, and cry out to God, sometimes for hours. And I would say, God... What are you doing? Or what am I doing wrong? Just show me, and I'll change, I promise. You ever felt that way? You ever, you ever you know, felt like God's not doing what you wanted or expected or hoped? Maybe he isn't listening. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he just doesn't exist. Ever get stuck like that? You feel anxious or frustrated or maybe, maybe hurt and angry? at life or at God. I mean, surely Robbie's been feeling that. You know, I've, I've been there with loss and felt that. You get stuck. Or maybe it's that, you know, no matter what you try, circumstances just don't seem to go your way and, and you're in a rut and don't know how to get out. Well, I didn't see it at the time, but I think my, my feelings were clues of what I needed to do. But I didn't see it then. We, we had a contract, we thought, nailed down to lease a, a building from the Round Rock School District. And uh, we thought, you know, this was it. This is going to be God's provision for us. And um, the school district said they wanted to do the lease. We got a big group from our church over, and we walked around the building and prayed for it. In fact, we heard Crossroads walked around and prayed seven times, so we walked around and prayed seven times. You know, just like Joshua in the Bible, right? And we just knew God's going to give it to us. In fact... Um, a guy who had just started following Christ came up to me and, and he said, we've got it. I said, how do you know? He said, I marked it. He peed on the building. <laughs> he marked it like a dog would. And he was just sure that's got to be in the Bible somewhere. It's not, just in case you're wondering. For more than a year, they wouldn't sign the contract. Every time we would get like so close and something would happen and they would postpone signing. And I have to be honest, God's unwillingness to, to get involved, it broke me. I was frustrated, I was hurt, I was angry because God's will wasn't being done as I knew it should be. And after about a year of crying out, trying to get God to answer my question and not hearing anything but silence, I started to get silent. And I started to go out and just sit and listen. And then I started to hear, not an answer to my question, but a question. No audible voice, just a thought in my head again and again, am I enough? Am I enough? 
And at first I kind of gave the, you know, the Sunday school answer, what do you mean, God? You, of course you're enough. You've got to be kidding. And I would roll off a litany of the, the good boy sacrifices I had made for God. But the longer I sat with that question and, and wrestled with it honestly, the more I realized, no, no, I guess the truth is, God, you're not enough. You know, loving you and being faithful to you and loving my, my wife and my kids and, and being faithful to use my gifts to serve others, I guess, honestly, is not enough because I need things to go my way too. During that time, um, because there were a lot of people coming out of of addictions that were coming to faith in our church. They, I taught through the biblical basis of the 12 steps. And in doing that, I realized something. I realized I have an addiction. I have an addiction to self. I have an addiction to getting my will and my ways done, and I keep trying to get God to align his will and ways with mine. It's actually what the Bible calls the sin of idolatry. It's what the first two of the Ten Commandments are all about. And my anxiety and frustration whenever I couldn't get God's will to align with my will just proved my addiction to self. You know, I've since come to believe this is really the core addiction of humanity. We want to be God. We want the universe to go our way. And whenever things don't go our way, we push God to the periphery of life you know, when he doesn't do what we want because we want to call the shots. And not just for ourselves. We want to call the shots for boyfriends and girlfriends and spouses and work associates and other drivers on the road, right? This is humanity's problem. Instead of letting God be God in our lives, we keep playing God and trying to get everyone else to obey our will and our ways. And so we get stuck in this conflict of wills. We're a world at war. And it divides and it destroys whole nations and and large groups and small groups and marriages and families and business partnerships and friendships. We've all been there, right? And if those people would just see they're wrong and see it our way, we wouldn't have this problem. But they don't. And we don't see it their way, and none of us truly see it God's way. You know, I came to believe during that time that drug addicts and alcoholics actually have an advantage over us more religious folk because their addiction to self manifests itself in physical ways that are, are, are messy, and you can see the mess. But our addiction to self sometimes gets varnished over with religious words and religious deeds, and we can fool lots of people, even ourselves, for a long time. Isn't that what got Jesus crucified? Good religious people addicted to self? You know, addicts find the power to overcome from a God of grace who forgives and gives them a second, third, and fourth chance as as they moment by moment surrender their entire lives and wills to do his will only. So I decided to try that, to seek to die to self and live moment by moment in this constant contact with God in in a willingness to radically respond to his will. And you know what I discovered as I focused on this one thing over the next year or so? I started to experience something I hadn't before. I started to experience almost like a joy that would bubble up within sometimes in the strangest times for no reason whatsoever. And and it would produce gratitude in me. 
And I started to experience a, a peace that allowed me to actually enter into and enjoy the simple moments with my wife and daughter and son. And it, it grew a new depth of love in me that I hadn't, I hadn't been there before. And I started to experience thankfulness toward God to the, for the little things in life. And I started to experience freedom from constantly worrying about what other people thought about me. It just didn't matter that much because I was experiencing something better. I mean, the only way I could explain it to people is I said, I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And it was good. You know, one time Jesus was meeting with uh, his closest followers in the home of Mary and Martha, two sisters. Martha was busy trying to get food on the table. She was doing a good thing, right? She was serving Jesus and, and his friends. It's a good thing. But the way she was doing it was not so good. She was getting frustrated and stressed out and bitter because she was working so hard for Jesus, but her sister wasn't helping. And so she tried to get Jesus to fix Mary, her sister. Fix her, Lord. Change her. And Jesus said something to Martha that maybe he wants to say to some of us who are doing lots of good. Luke 10, Martha, Martha, you're worried and stressed out and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Think about that a second. Only one thing is necessary? I mean, if that's true, we would be wise to figure out what that one thing is and do it, right? What was the one thing that, that Martha's slacker sister was doing that she wasn't? Listening. Luke 10 says her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening. See, the way we begin to truly love God is by listening and responding obediently. So is that it, listening? Well, kind of. It's the beginning of it. It, it, it. The one thing I think Jesus was trying to get at, he also said his last night on earth. If you read John chapters 13 through 17, that's all about Jesus' last night on earth. And if you read it, you start to realize he's saying the same thing over and over again. He's trying to get across this one thing. And he knows that this one thing is simple, but it's the hardest thing for us self-centered humans to keep focused on. So he gives us a graphic picture. They're walking down toward the Garden of Gethsemane, down through the Kidron Valley. It would have been a vineyard in that day. And he reaches down and he picks up a branch off the ground. He goes, guys, it's like this. It's like you are the branch and I'm the vine. And look, a, a branch doesn't have to work real hard to produce grapes, to produce fruit. It just has to stay connected and grapes grow naturally. And then he said this, John 15, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, it's this simple. Stay connected, fruit happens. That's it. Stay connected, fruit grows, fruit happens. Apart from that, you can do nothing. Then this would be the one thing we must do, right? Stay connected. Now, now I, I have a feeling some of you are going, whoa, 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 hang on a second, preacher boy. What are you talking about? I can do nothing apart from Jesus? I can do lots of stuff apart from Jesus. I have been. I can build a good business. I can love my, father, uh, my uh, wife and my son and daughter. I, I can do lots of good humanitarian deeds. Exactly. 
I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying you can keep yourself incredibly busy, do gooding, and miss the whole point of your existence. To live life in this intimate connection with the creator who created you for himself and loves you, is crazy in love with you, but also wants to lead you as you follow to learn to love others according to his will and ways, not just according to our will and ways, because our will and ways actually doesn't end up looking that loving all the time, does it? And so he wants to change us from the inside out. This is the one thing then that we have to we have to do, and we have to help each other do, stay connected, fruit happens. Kind of sounds like it should be a bumper sticker, fruit happens, doesn't it? Remember that? That was a big one in Austin. You know, I, I said that to our church once, and three weeks later, I'm getting out of the car at the, at the grocery store, and I, and I get out, and I'm starting to walk around, and a guy walking by takes a double take at my bumper, and he, go, he looks at it, and he goes, what does fruit happens mean? And I walked around and some jokester at our church had made a bumper sticker. I'd been sporting around for three weeks. I hate bumper stickers. Staying connected though, in a moment by moment way, is the only thing we have to focus on. That's incredibly freeing when you realize it. If we can just stay focused on this one thing, everything else takes care of itself. God takes care of the rest. Okay, now it doesn't mean we don't have to work and take responsibility and all that, but the inner things we're trying to get from out there that never quite come from out there, God begins to do as we stay connected. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians 5. One thing, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Same thing Jesus was saying. Stay connected as you walk through life. Walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they start to grow up out of you naturally. This one simple thing. Paul was trying to say this, I think, as well in Romans chapter seven and eight. In Romans chapter seven, great chapter if you've never read it. He talks about the frustration of trying to get ourselves out of ruts, trying to change yourself, right? And he says, I, I keep wanting to do the right thing, but I do the wrong thing. I, I keep trying to do what I, what I think is right, but, but I do what's wrong again and again. What a wretch I am. Ever felt that weight of condemnation? You know, ever, ever tried that? You swear to yourself, I'm going to stop lusting. I'm going to stop getting hammered. I'm going to stop ending up in those morning after situations. I'm going to stop gossiping at work. I'm going to stop being impatient with my kids. I'm going to stop being so easily angered. And yet the harder you try, the more you realize how much and how often you fail, and you start to feel this weight of condemnation until finally you just want to throw your hands up and go, screw it, I give up. And many people run away from God because of that. But, but they didn't read what Paul goes on to say. What a wretch I am, but there's grace. In Romans 8, 1, he says, there's now no condemnation. Say that with me. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? So that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who don't live according to the sinful nature. In, in other words, according to just those old ways we're habitually used to, but according to the Spirit. Stay connected to the Spirit. How? Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set 
on what the Spirit desires. See, this is the whole point of God's grace offered in Christ. He, he did what he did through Jesus to forgive us, not just to get us into heaven one day, but that we might reconnect and stay connected to God, even as we're falling and failing, even as we're screwing it up. Instead of feeling condemned and hiding from God, we can open our minds and allow him in that moment to lead and guide us to do the next right thing. And he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. You know, I like to think about it um, a little like sailing. You know, the Olympics are on right now, and one of the events that, uh, uh, that they're doing is racing sailboats, and I'm sure you're all going to be tuned to it, right? <laughs> right. I am because actually I used to race those same boats in, in college for the University of Texas. And if you've ever raced sailboats, you realize sailboats don't have any power of their own. They have to rely on the power of the wind, right? So the secret to fast sailing is first you have to learn to read the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And you really can learn to read it. You can read it on the water. You can read it in the boats around you and the trees on the shore. You can feel it on your skin. So you learn to read where the wind is blowing, and then you adjust your course, and you adjust your sails to stay in the groove with the wind, and you move fast. That's what Paul's saying. He says, we keep learning to discern where the wind of the Spirit is blowing, and we adjust our mind to stay in tune, to stay in the groove with the Spirit. Now, sometimes, Sometimes that's a hard decision we have to make when we see where the wind of the Spirit is pointing. Sometimes we have to get the tiller and throw it over hard right to stay in line with the Spirit. I remember um, one time a guy came into my office and he said, I've got, I've got a dilemma. Uh, I've got a, a computer worth $500,000 and I, I, I've got to figure out what to do with it. I was like, that's no problem, give it to me. <laughs> And like, I ask the question you're asking, why would a computer be worth half a million dollars? Well, because he was a, a photographer, actually a, a well-known photographer for certain well-known magazines like Playboy and Penthouse. And he had taken these black and white stills uh, and had a contract with a publisher for a coffee table book, a publisher out of New York, and all he had to do is turn the photos over to them and they would give him half a million dollars. But six months earlier, he had come to faith in Christ at our church. And he had, you know, he had left a $250,000 to $300,000 a year deal and taken a construction job for 24000 a year because he said, I was destroying people's lives. I was destroying women's lives. He said, I knew who I was working for. I knew exactly what I was doing. And so he ran from it when he, when he came to his senses. But, you know, here he's struggling financially, and all he had to do is turn that computer over. And he felt like inside, when I asked him, I said, well, what do you think God is saying? He knew where the wind of the Spirit was blowing, but it was going to require a hard right with the tiller because it meant wiping out that computer disk and not continuing to harm more people. Well, fortunately, he decided to wipe it out. It took him a while. But see, there are going to be times when staying in tune with the Spirit is going to require a hard right. If you don't take it, you end up just fluttering with the sails flapping in the wind. But as soon as you make the turn and you get in the groove, stay in the groove, things start to grow. 
And that's the thing. He begins to change us from the inside out, where this love and joy and peace and the things we're trying to get from things out there, we actually start to experience naturally. You know, think about it like this. Like Mother Teresa, when she was alive, you know, she had to come to the state some, and she'd have to, you know, go to Washington, D.C. I'm sure, I'm sure she had to drive in traffic. When she had to drive in Washington, D.C. traffic, you think she had a hard time not flipping off other drivers? I'm guessing probably not. You know, a little four-foot Albanian, get out of my way! You know, I'm, I'm guessing that wasn't a struggle for her. Why? Because it wasn't in her. And, and that's what this is saying, is, is we stay connected moment by moment to God's Spirit, talking over our whole day, our struggles, our failures, our temptations, our desires, our questions, willing to respond when we, when we have that prompting to move in line with his will, something life-giving begins to grow up inside of us. It's what we were always after, but could never get, no matter how many things we tried or changed out here. And the way we'll know we're staying connected is when it becomes natural more and more to do the loving thing. That's what Jesus said in John 13, his last night on earth. Love each other just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, my followers. See, it's all about relationship. We love God by responding to him. He leads us to know how to actually love others according to his will and ways. See, spiritual growth is incredibly simple. It's so simple, it's crazy. I mean, it's scandalously simple. So simple, Jesus said, a child can do it. But do we do it? You know, because it goes against our nature somehow as adults that tends to just focus on self. Do we stay in this moment-by-moment, ongoing, constant conversation with God, radically responsive to his will? You know, even as you're listening right now, as you're talking with others, as you're making business decisions, as you're trying to be patient with your children, as you're right in the middle of your pride welling up in a fight with your spouse, That's where God wants to do life with you. That's how he gets us unstuck as we open our minds and are willing to respond. But it's something we have to learn how to do. Because it's not that natural. We need reminders. We need helps. You know, I was asking one day as I was mowing the yard, uh, actually I was mowing along and I was thanking God for the way I've experienced this as I've learned to stay connected. And trust me, I get it wrong more than I get it right. But I was just talking to him about how this really is true. I mean, it's a better way to live. Even though circumstances were still not changing, I was experiencing something so much better. And I kept saying, God, how can I get people in our church to just go for it long enough to see how good life is with you when you stay connected? And and as I was thinking that, a, a thought popped into my mind, do an experiment. Get people to just go for it for 60 days, all out, trying to stay as much as they can in constant communication with God, radically responsive to his will. And I had this idea to, for us all to get watches that would, that would beep every 60 minutes, just as a way to kind of interrupt our natural habit of ignoring God most of the day, which is where most of us live. And whenever the watch beeps or, you know, you put some reminder just like on your computer or on your mirror in your car, and whenever you're reminded, you stop and you just think back, how well did I stay connected this last 60 minutes? And if I've, if I've gotten, you know, out of the groove with the wind, I just got to get back in the groove and stay more connected the next 60 minutes. We called it our 60-60 experiment. About 2,000 people signed up. 
Not everybody finished, but those who, who went all out found the results were astounding. We're doing it again right now, uh, and we're starting this fall. You, and we did this uh, soulrevolution.net website. If you want to go read some of the blogs of what people are discovering and learning out there, you can. It's not always easy. In fact, one guy wrote me when we first started, and he said, uh, I practiced the, this 60-60 awareness the past few days. Man, is it hard. I'm hardly ever where I want to be when that stinking beeper goes off. Which is why, see, you have to understand grace. There's no condemnation. You just, you fall down, you just get back up, but you try to walk more in line with the Spirit. Those who, uh, those who really went all out were amazed that what Jesus said is really true. God starts to take care of the other stuff. And you know what was amazing is even those who weren't sure they believed in Jesus, when they were willing they found out. Now, that may shock some of you, but Jesus said in John 7, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he'll find out whether my teaching comes from God. Now, Tony was an atheist at the time, um, owned his own architecture firm, got his third DUI, and got sentenced to mandatory recovery classes. While he's in the recovery classes, someone convinced him to just act as if there's a God and every night thank him for the little things in life. So he, he just decided to try. He started to thank this God he didn't even believe in every night, and he said he started to see these little coincidences happen that made him go, hmm, I wonder. Not long after that, he said the girl that he started dating started coming to Gateway and invited him, and he came uh, just a few months before we started this experiment. Here's how he talks about it. He said, Gateway started this 60-day experiment I never made it every hour connecting with God, but my nightly connection turned into multiple connections every day. This transformed my new faith into a deeper pursuit of God and a Christian way of life. I began to see God at work in my life throughout the day. The woman who introduced me to Gateway and I broke up, but I continued to go, which was a huge deal for me because relational isolation was usually the path I took. He says, I kept doing the 60-60, staying connected to God. My habits of looking lustfully at women and internet porn started to, to decline. He said, I didn't really try. It just didn't appeal in the same way. I didn't have to struggle because God was taking the impulse away. The 60-60 led to a major growth period. A few months ago, I was talking to Tony about what God's done in his life these past three years since he got that last DW, DUI. And... Uh, I watched as tears of gratitude welled up in his eyes as he told me of you know, this new sense of energy and purpose and all these new friendships. And he told me story after story of the way he's tangibly seen God work in his life. And he said, I, you know, the little things that used to be problematic in my life have disappeared almost without any effort or sacrifice on my part. He said, it's not that my life is perfect or trouble-free. But for the first time, I know happiness and peace as a way of life, and I don't feel so alone anymore. See, it's almost, it's almost as if what Jesus said is true. <laughs> that when we do this one simple thing of staying connected, God starts to cause the growth. But to do that, we have to learn to listen and respond, right? And that's not always easy. We have to learn this. Have you ever noticed, if you've read the New Testament, which I'd highly recommend, uh, you may have noticed that Jesus says this little phrase a lot. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Ever notice that? It's kind of a bizarre phrase. It's like I'm pretty sure most of the people Jesus talked to had two ears on the side of their heads, right? 
Except that guy Malchus who Peter chopped it off. That's another story. Well, what's Jesus mean? Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, obviously, he must have been talking about a different kind of hearing. More of a spiritual kind of hearing. In fact, one time he quoted the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who said, they hardly see with their eyes or hear with their ears because their hearts are hard. Otherwise, if they would, I would heal them. See, it's a spiritual kind of listening we have to learn to do. Well, how do you do that? How do you learn to hear from, from God? Because I've never heard an audible voice. Have you? I mean, most people who claim to, unfortunately, get locked away. <laughs> so how do you hear? Here's something that really helped me understand this. Do you realize right now, I'm trying to get my thoughts from my head into your head. I'm trying to get my thoughts into your thoughts. But I'm limited and finite, so I'm struggling. I had to work real hard to come up with some, some concrete illustrations that would paint a picture in your thoughts. And, and I've, I, I have to use all these words, and I have to use my tongue and vocal cords and the sound waves, and then I have to use your ears and your ear canals, which hopefully aren't plugged with wax. And then even if I can get my thoughts into your thoughts, of course, you can still be thinking about something totally different, like how am I going to get across the auditorium to that girl that I'm seeing over there after the service? Or you're starting to feel your stomach rumble and you're listening to that and thinking about lunch. Now, you know what I wish I could do? This would be so cool. If I could do this, if I could just put my thoughts directly into your thoughts, that would be a much more direct form of communication. Now, you may, you may mistake my thoughts for your thoughts, but you would understand these thoughts completely. You may not listen to them. You could still just blow them off and be thinking about something else. But that would be a more direct form of communication, wouldn't it? Now, lucky for you, I can't do that. <laughs> but God can. You ever realize that? God's not finite and limited like I am. He can put his thoughts directly into our thoughts. Now, we can still ignore them. You know, we can, we can still go on about our ways and about our thoughts. And so we have to learn to listen with spiritual ears. We have to learn to listen by responding to those thoughts that remind us of Jesus' teaching or that prompt us in the way of the will of God revealed in Scripture. And we have to test those thoughts because we can get them wrong. We have to make sure they match what Scripture says is true. We need to consult other wise spiritual people around us. But we learn to hear these gentle nudgings, just like Brian had that day. You need to call right away. If he hadn't called right away, we wouldn't have seen God at work there. You learn to respond to God thoughts instead of those subtle lies that are the thoughts that so, so often plague us that we get automatically used to responding to. You know, at the beginning stages of recovery from crack cocaine, Trey recalls, um, how many lies were deviously leading him into temptation. He said he used to buy crack at a, a particular gas station. This particular gas station was close to my job and had some of the cheapest gas in town. This is where the subtle lie began. You need to be wise with your time and money, the voice would tell me. But rather than take that thought captive, I, I would simply respond to that lie and drive in and buy gas. It worked on several occasions, even though I could see my crack dealer's house from where I pumped gas. No problem, the lie would tell me. I'm strong enough now. Then one day, boom. I found myself driving up to my old dealer, and before I knew it, I was talking to him about buying crack. 
Fortunately, I had enough connection with God to come to my senses and speed away. From that point forward, I immersed myself in God's truths in the scriptures. When we did the 60-60, it helped me not get sucked into gas station style lies. Because each time I watched Beep, I began to train myself to automatically ask, God, is this where you want me to be? Is this what you want me to be saying? Is this who I should be hanging out with? Am I trusting and obeying you right now? And Trey said, I've been sober over six years since. But more importantly, I'm connected to God and feeling free at last. See, it's simple. It's one simple thing Jesus talked about. Stay connected, fruit happens. As you help each other stay connected in your smaller groups, loving community grows. As you, as you help each other as a whole church, as Christ's body stay connected to the head who is Christ, the gates of hell don't stand a chance in Cincinnati. Well, let me close uh, just wrapping up my uh, two years of frustration, uh, the story I began with. You know, I, uh, I, was, I met with Brian actually out in California about the end of that two years, and I just told him a little bit of what I was learning and, and, and said, you know, I'm just letting go of trying to make this facility thing happen. I'm just trying to do the next right thing as God leads me to. Uh, three months after that, my kids were out in the backyard, and they came running in crying, fire! And I went running out, and there was a fire in the easement back behind uh, our house. And I went out there and helped the neighbor who lived on the other side of the easement put it out. And afterwards, we started talking. Now, I knew this neighbor because we had leased a house next door to him uh, for three months when we moved back to Austin to start the church. And one night, out in the driveway, we got into the what do you do, what do you do conversation, and I told him that, uh, well, I'm coming to start a church. He thought, well, that's weird. How do you start a church? You know, like, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, after we put the fire out that day, he asked me, he said, hey, how's that church thing going? And I said, actually, it's going well. I mean, you know, lots of people are finding faith and coming. There are about 350 people coming. The only problem is we keep having to move to another location. We keep losing people. And he said, you know, I, I just became the CEO of this nonprofit uh, retirement home, and we just bought this, this synagogue that is right next to our property. We're going to tear it down next month. But just this week, I started feeling bad about just tearing it down. I said, you ought to feel bad about it. Let me go look at it. Next day, I went and looked at it, and it was unbelievable. I mean, it, it couldn't have been more perfect for what we needed. I drove straight to his house that night. I said, we've got to make a deal. And he said, no, nah, you don't understand. I mean, I've got a board full of no-nonsense business guys. We're tearing it down to save money on the taxes till we expand. You couldn't possibly pay us enough to make up for it. It's not going to happen. I said, please just try. <laughs> he asked. They did it. We got... We got this building for one-fifth of market value, not even close to what they were going to save on the taxes. We moved into it you know, with, with about 350 people. Four years later in that same building, there were 2,000 people who had come to find faith and start to learn to grow. Yeah. But here's, here's what I learned in that looking back. You know, sometimes when we're in the midst of that frustrating waiting on God time, you know, God sees things out of love for us that we just can't see. I mean, if we had been able to sign that lease with Round Rock, it would have been so much worse for us. But I couldn't see it at the time. 
But the other thing I realize is sometimes we might not see until eternity. But you know, I've come to believe that God actually cares even more about you and what he's doing in you and in me even than what he does through you and through me. And because it's all about relationship, until we get this relationship right, there's not that much good we can really do out here. But when we get this relationship right, there's a lot of good we can do. So that's my one prayer for the one church. Stay connected. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your um, amazing love that you do enter into our world. You proved it through Jesus. You enter into the most broken, hurting, wayward parts of our world. And you do it to, to walk with us through it and deliver us from it. And God, thank you that you want to enter in and do life with us. Help us to be people who learn how to stay connected and responsive to you, that we might become more like you in this world. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much.